baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hey now, welcome, welcome to Steel Talking. All things we believe are the subjects that we want to talk about every Sunday night. Now look, here's the thing. For many years, I would not talk about certain things that were about death or killings or that sort of thing in the last hour of the night. And so, of course, the last hour for the last decade has become the Mom and Michael hour, and we have a blast. And I run into so many of you, just recently I ran into many of you, who said, oh, the Mom and Michael hour is my favorite. I cannot tell you how that blessed me. I just loved hearing that from you because it's my favorite hour, too. But as we move towards, move forward throughout the whole four hours, I get even more and more excited to get to the Mom and Michael hour. But Tonight, we have some really great guests. Jimmy Erickson and Jonathan Lowe have really um, uh, given us a lot to talk about. Paul Douglas is going to join us to talk about climate change. You know, um, is it climate change that's happening right now? I absolutely believe it is. And we're going to find out from one of the meteorologists, one of the most respected meteorologists we have here in the great state of Minnesota. So I'm really looking forward to talking with him. That's at 720. At 735, we're going to talk to... Uh, New Hope's Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier. We're going to talk about this whole distribution of about $250 million to frontline workers. Now, I talked about that, Jonathan. You might remember uh, we had that on. I had read that article, and I kept saying, how are they going to define who's working more than the other frontline workers? How do they How do they know? How do they? What are the metrics for this? And so we're going to find out from um, this New Hope Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier. He's also going to give us a little update on the representative John Thompson from St. Paul. And then at 8 o'clock, we're going to have open phones. That's the time we're going to talk about coronavirus and the vaccines and the boosters and the variants and all of that. We are giving that whole half hour just for you to really talk about what we're thinking. And don't be ashamed to call in at 651-989-9226. Now, again, this is happening in the first half hour at 809. We're going to start taking your calls or your texts at 651-989-9226. The importance of us talking about this, whether you agree with the vaccine or whether you sit back and go, no, I don't believe in it, I don't trust the government, whatever that is, we still need to talk about it. We still need to hear from you, and I hope that you want to hear from me as well. So we have so much to talk about in the 9 o'clock hour. Oh, I should say, um, at 8.30 tonight, we're also going to have So What Do You Do? So stay tuned for that. We have Angie Nelson uh, joining us. I won't tell you what her business is because, of course, it's, it's um, a way of letting you know what's going to come up in So What Do We Do? And then 9 o'clock is all things arts and entertainment. So as I sit here in this comfortable home and I feel... Like everything is safe on the outside. It's beautiful. We've had beautiful days with very, very hot weather. And I look at my mom who has compromised system and I am her primary caregiver. And here's my biggest concern. Whether it looks beautiful outside or not, the bottom line is that my mother could not go outside for days because of the air quality or the lack thereof. Think about that. Here I am sitting here looking outside, and if I wanted to go out on the patio and just sit and enjoy this beautiful backyard that my brother J.D. Uh, creates for my mother every year, it means. 
is just beautiful. My mother can't even sit out on the patio on certain days. So we pay close attention to what is happening to um, the lack of quality in our air or the quality of the air. Sometimes it's good and oftentimes it is not during these 90-something degree days. So believe me, I, I know you probably know people in your family or you have loved ones, children, so many others who are really suffering, want to get out of the house, but can't do it right now. Thank goodness for windows, right? Thank goodness for having a chance to sit in the kitchen by the by the door and you can see outside and see how beautiful it is, but it's not enough. It's not exactly what my mother wants, but she also wants to stay as healthy as possible. So I am so grateful for my mom to be diligent, to stay on top of it and never complain about it. How about that? All right, Jonathan, tell me how your weekend was. You talking about last weekend when I was away from this place and you? Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Dude. I'm kidding. kidding. Here we go. No, I did. Went, you have a great time? I did. I had a really good time. I uh, I was back home in uh, back home in in the Kansas City and mm-hmm. uh, got to see a lot of family members. Uh, uh, saw some uh, relatives I hadn't seen in a, in, a, in a few years. So did they was, remember you? Barely. See, Barely. isn't that They're something like, they go, oh, my I gosh. knew your parents had a son, but I, where's the successful one? No, they didn't do that. No, 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 they didn't do that. Where's the successful one? I don't know I, I don't know how much money you got. No. Oh, no, I'm joking. All. No, it was, no, they, uh, we, we still talk every now and again, not as much as we should. And, and that's on me to call out to people, just say, hey, how you doing? And that sort of stuff. Um, but I got to see a bunch of my cousins, got to see some of the, their, their kids I hadn't seen for, you know, a couple of years, a few years. And so a couple of them remember me, a couple of them were like, they're, they're kind of young when I saw them last. So they kind of <laughs> know this guy, but not really. Eh, maybe. Is he part of the family? I don't know. <laughs> Did he get adopted? Yeah. Well, look, you had a chance to be with family. I just had a long conversation this morning with my granddaughters, the two of them, eight years old and four years old. And I was, we took an hour in the conversation to really take a look at what it means to be family. You know, I always say to them when I see them, what are we? And they both say, family, grandma, family. It's so integral. We have to teach our children what family means, what family is. We have to define it for them sometimes. Many of them may not understand when you first say it. Maybe they're just repeating it because you said it. But when they really get it, and I really believe my granddaughters really got it today, that's when it's pretty special. So even though you went down there and you didn't get a chance to see everybody, but some of those you did see you don't even remember or maybe you forgot about them. I remember. My 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 cousins do a good job of you know they'll send the cards with the kids or they'll you know oh, they, they do they, they up, excellent they update um you know over I, I you know friends with all of them over Facebook so I can see updates on how the kids are doing so it's it's the interconnectedness of social media in this respect is good I know yeah. in many other respects it's not but in this yeah. respect it, it it's helpful to me to get a sense of how the kids are doing and, and how the, how my cousins are doing, how, my, you know, my mom and dad, who I still I talk regularly over the phone with them, but uh, other members of the family, how they're doing. So it's it's got a good purpose in this case. Okay, very quickly, tell me, your parents have two children, correct? Yes, me and my brother. Right, and then your parents have how many grandchildren? I, I would 
like to keep that silent. Oh, moment. would you? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I apologize. I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. Well, let me tell you about my mom. My mom has six children. She has 17 grandchildren and 30 great-grands. That is fantastic. Good for you. Wow. 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 <laughs> I can't even imagine. Okay. I'm not getting shape from my own mother on that. I'm not going to get shape from you. <laughs> I can imagine your mom is going, win, win, Jonathan. Can no, you we- just give me one? <laughs> we- we've had that discussion uh, before, and and she's understandable. She's very understandable. That is of course why she, is. she loves you. I, That's I, why. I am. I am sorry to say this in your presence, Miss Geraldine. Uh-huh. But my mother is the best mother in the world. There you go. There you go. Points. Points head right now. Hey, by the way, the final score for the Twins disappointed me. The Los Angeles Angels won six to two to the Twins. So. Angels won six, Twins had two, kind of disappointed me. But the Twins host Detroit tomorrow night, 6.30 pregame show, 7.10 first pitch, right here on WCCO Radio. We're going to take a break, and Paul Douglas, meteorologist extraordinaire, is going to join us next. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is now 7.20 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talking. I am your host, Geraldine Steele. And I have to tell you, I'm really excited for my first guest tonight. Record temps, record low water levels, record drought, record everything when it comes to the weather. Is, is this climate change? Is it? Is it really? Will it be the ongoing norm in Minnesota and across the planet? Are we... Maybe there are just regular weather patterns Well, we try to sort it all out with our chief meteorologist and co-host of Paul and Jordana show right here on WCCO Radio. His name is Paul Douglas. You know him. We love him. Welcome back, sir. It's so great to have you join us. Hey, Gerilyn. It's been too long. Great to hear your voice. 
It has been too long. Well, listen, my generation has been aware of climate change for a while now, and my millennial children have known about it since, what, former Vice President Al Gore showed us how it would happen and when it would happen. Well, back then, many Americans did not believe in climate change. Many thought it was just history repeating itself. What do you know it to be? What do you say? Well, the climate has always changed, and there's always been a reason for these changes. I mean, yes, we've had ice ages. We've had periods millions of years ago where it was warmer than it is right now. But the climate is changing. And the most likely explanation, Carolyn, is the nearly doubling of uh, planet warming greenhouse gases, CO2, methane, and others. So, yeah, it's it's changing. There's no doubt about that. And And look, we've always had floods. We've always had droughts. Since the dawn of time, uh, the weather has a tendency to be extreme at times. But if you're paying attention, and increasingly more of us are, those extremes are trending even more extreme over time. I'm not a climate scientist. Uh, I'm a meteorologist. I've been talking about this, trying to connect the dots, Gerilyn, for 25 years now. And, you know, I sense that the pushback, the... uh, the skepticism is fading somewhat. I think more people are realizing that, yeah, this is probably, you know, a thumbprint of something bigger going on. In fact, the climate scientists are saying that some of these crazy extremes that we've seen this summer could not, would not have happened in an atmosphere that hasn't warmed by a few degrees in an atmosphere that doesn't have twice as much CO2 as it did back in 1800. So we're, we're cooking the books a little bit. Uh, we're loading the dice in favor of more of these crazy extremes. 121, Geraldine, in British Columbia, that, that's just insane. I mean, the roads were melting uh, in the Seattle area. Um, Germany, probably a 500-year flood. Uh, just incredible uh, devastation. And China, Zhengzhou, China just had eight inches of rain in one hour, 24 inches of rain in one day in a relatively dry region of central China, uh, a city of 12 million people brought to its knees. So no place is safe. And it, it's a little like playing the lotto. It, it's like roulette, Russian roulette. You don't really know. You know, when your number comes up, your hometown, your city, uh, maybe it's your farm, um, the dries are getting drier, the wets are getting wetter. And climate scientists predicted that 30, 40 years ago, and, and their predictions have been on the mark, Gerilyn. So can we still correct it? That's the thing. When they say the written history of our climate, the climate scientists, of our meteorologists predicting or forecasting, um, they're saying that this is unusual. We've never seen it like this before. So is there a way that it can be corrected? There is. There's no, there's no silver bullet, but there is silver buckshot. Uh, there are a, a huge range of technologies that can diminish our need for fossil fuels over time. Look, gas, coal, oil got us to where we are today. It enabled, empowered the incredible growth that we've seen for 150, 200 years. It's lifted 
hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. You know, I, I don't want to trash talk fossil fuels, but the, what we're doing now, you know, releasing 40 billion metric tons of additional climate warming gases into the atmosphere, it's not sustainable. We have to find another way. So I, I'm optimistic because renewable energy prices are dropping faster than the cost of fossil fuels. At some point, people realize they can have everything they want. And in fact, they can have more and pay less for it. And I think we're at that inflection point right now. If you can get more performance for less cost, people will change their habits. But I understand, you know, people are concerned about change. You know, Paul, am I going to have to live in a yurt and become a vegetarian and, you know, pedal a rickshaw to work? You know, some people are are really threatened uh, about what this might look like as we get serious about addressing climate change. But I think it's going to happen. Our kids, our grandkids, they're not debating the science. They want, they want to move. It's like, what are we doing? And so and they're trying to save the world. That's what they're doing. They're trying to save the world. Yeah. So here's where I stand on this, sir. Knowing that it, it's not just the United States, it's every country is involved in this change in some kind of way, some far less than many. Right. Uh, but those like the United States, we are in it. We have caused a lot of problems, like you talked about fossil fuels. But now where do we go? We've seen movies that have warned us, warned us of this. Some of the things that talked in those movies. And you know how Americans love their movies and believe it, whether it's fact fiction or fiction fact. I mean, it's just yeah. it's nuts. But people are yeah. seeing it now. They're seeing what they've already viewed on the screen. So now what? Where do we go from here? How do we get the world to say time to make the change as of now? The symptoms are getting harder to dismiss and deny. And it's not every day, it's not every week, but I mean, every month I'll look at something and do a triple take and say, I've never seen that before. And again, even if you don't believe the scientists, maybe you don't believe your kids, you don't believe the teachers, believe your own eyes, because the symptoms are going to be harder uh, to avoid. What do we do? I think, you know, there are all kinds of things we can do. We can embrace the inevitable electrification of of the grid, moving away gradually from fossil fuels. I, I think we still need nuclear. There's no CO2 with nuclear. If we can keep the nuke plants going safely, we have to do that. Um, but again, consider an electric vehicle. Uh, things like, you know, recycling and living in a more energy-efficient uh, uh, energy home, all of those things can help. I think the most important thing we can do is just talk to our, our friends and our neighbors. And if you're concerned about it, tell the people you care about the most why you're concerned. And I would also say the most important thing we can do, Geraldine, is vote at a local, state, national level, vote for people who still have a respect for science and who want to do something about this. People think it's going to ruin our economy. If we do nothing, uh, climate change will ruin our economy. We have to find common sense ways to gradually turn the dial, turn down fossil fuels over the next 20, 30, 40 years, and turn up all these renewable sources, solar, wind, biofuels, 
um, energy storage that that don't pollute. We can do it. We can figure well, the, it out, and I'm optimistic we will, Geraldine. I am too, sir. Um, last question for you. I heard on the news, or I saw on the news today, one of the stations, that whether these these uh, the fires that are happening all over the country um, have created these weather um, situations that COVID could be living within those, and that we could all be affected by breathing in the air from those fires. Did you hear about this? And if so, is this something we should be paying attention to? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I did hear something about that. The, the smoke from these wildfires. I know last year in California, it was the rough equivalent of smoking one or two packs of cigarettes every day. It can be very, very bad for your lungs. And of course, COVID-19 attacks the lungs. And if you're already struggling uh, with breathing, with respiratory issues related to wildfire smoke, and then you do catch the virus, I think it might increase the odds of a bad outcome. So, yeah, I mean, we have to take everything seriously. Clean air, we, you know, we love our clean air here in Minnesota. We have amazing air here. But um, I think we're going to be dealing with this wildfire smoke right through the fall. Well, it has sure been a, pre- a pleasure having you on tonight. I'm shaking just listening to you. <laughs> um, but I have to tell you, sir, I'm really appreci- uh, we appreciate it so much because we need to hear from you more often. So I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. Thank you so much. Just be optimistic, be upbeat. We're going to figure this out, Geraldine. And, and thank you for being that voice of perpetual optimism on, on this show, on our air. We need this more than ever. That is our own Paul Douglas, co-host of the Paul and Jordana Show on WCCO Radio. We'll be back in a moment. It is now 7.35 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talk, and I am your host, Gerilyn Steele. It is what I love to do is sit here and be with you on a Sunday night. So please remember at 8.09, I believe it is, 8.09, we are going to have open phones on the coronavirus updates, the vaccines, our Americans, even more Americans getting the shot now. Um, well, there's a lot to say, a lot of articles about what is happening, what do you believe, where do you go, what are you thinking, and it doesn't matter where you stand politically or where you stand on this subject, we still want to hear from you. So, of course, you can give us a call at 651-989-9226, or you can also text to that number at 989-9226, or if you're outside the metro area, 1-866-989-9226. Now, I'm excited to introduce to you someone I have never met before. He is a new Hope Democratic representative by the name of Cedric Frazier. You see, Minnesota has approved a fund that will distribute about $250 million to frontline workers. Now, who gets paid what? That is the job of a nine-member working group that includes this representative, Cedric Fraser. And he joins us now to discuss the workings of the group, his first year at the Capitol, and what the talk is all about about his fellow representative. Welcome to WCCO, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm glad to have you join us. I'm doing just fine. And of course, when we first heard about this here at WCCO, I immediately wanted to do a half an hour on this subject, and I did. And I kept asking the question, how in the world are they going to figure out the metrics on who gets what and how much, right? When do they get it? How much do they get? Can you tell us how this works? Well, we've got a, we've got a nine-member panel, um, three people, three members appointed on the House side, 
um, two Democrats, one Republican, and then three people appointed on the Senate side, um, you know, two Republicans and a Democrat, and then the governor appointed three commissioners um, as well. Um, that nine-member panel will have our first meeting on this Wednesday on the 28th. Um, we will have it open for testimony to hear from um, frontline workers and advocate groups on behalf of those frontline workers to kind of help us decide on how we're going to determine um, how we'll disperse this um, $250 million that we have, which is a pot that we put together toward the end of the session to um, pass in the law to part of the uh, American Rescue Plan funds. Um, that money will be going toward our essential workers. I love the idea of cash bonuses for essential workers, but why not just give it to all of them? Are, are there going to be different levels, or how is it defined? How do you break it up? Well, we haven't, and that is what the work group is going to be determining. How do we how do we determine the parameters and who's going to get what and who's going to get how much? Um, we don't have anything set in stone yet. I'll tell you from my perspective, uh, what I'll be advocating for as a member of this work group is really to try to be as broad as broad as possible in terms of who we capture of our frontline workers. Um, they're very deserving of this. Um, I think it is it is just the, uh, it is the least that we can do. Uh, I tell you, $250 million is not a lot of money when you think about the thousands of essential workers that we have out there. Um, I've, I've often described this, if you, if you think of it, but if we, were to, if we were to give money to every essential worker with only this $250 million pot of money, it's, some, it's sort of like a, um, a mass tort um, lawsuit where you've got uh, so many folks in the lawsuit, and then once you get through distributing all the money, you would get these small amounts divvied out. Well, I, we don't want to do that. We want to give something that's meaningful, meaningful to these workers to show them um, our appreciation. We've called them essential workers. We've called them heroes. I believe they are heroes. We have to treat them as such. And so we need them to make sure that whatever we give them is something meaningful. That's why I say this is this is the least we can do right now. The hope is that we can push and put more resources um, into this pot, and then we can we can actually give more to more workers, and we can also broaden the base of workers that we give resources to. Because again, they were essential workers. They are heroes. They were our they were our nurses. They were our school um, they were our school workers. They were our home care workers. These are the folks that were the uh, the, the janitors that that clean our buildings to make sure that we were virus free and being able to go in and shop and do the things that we needed to do when many of us could work from home. These folks were out day in and day out, sacrificing themselves, exposing themselves to potentially get the virus, and it also exposing their families. And we need to make sure that we can take care of them. So these are all front. Line workers. Are we also including those that uh, distributed food to so many of the homeless and people who were did not have the money to spend because of the COVID pandemic? Um, I mean, how do you define frontline workers? I heard you mention some that I hadn't heard before. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you think about some folks that were delivering food. I mean, we some of our some of our school workers, some of our educational assistants or paraprofessionals. Those are the exact individuals that were out day in and day out delivering delivering food to homes, to families, to kids that oftentimes without those meals being delivered, that is those are the meals that they depended on for their nutrition. So I, I do think we're going to have to make sure that we consider those folks as well because uh, just like any other folks that may have reported to a particular, a particular site day in and day out, these individuals were reporting to multiple sites by delivering the food that they were to our kids that needed it. What are you hearing from people who've heard about this? Because when you say essential workers, a lot of people first go to those frontline workers in the hospitals and the clinics and those that were giving the vaccine, those that were um, helping people get the COVID shot that needed it. I mean, mm -hmm. how, 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 what are people saying to you? 
Well, I think that makes sense. You, I mean, I, I would consider those individuals as, as frontline workers. Again, those were individuals, particularly in our hospitals, um, you know, early on. I mean, day in and day out, they were dealing with uh, with folks at the peak of the pandemic, um, exposed to the virus on a day in and day out basis. And, and, and you think about it, at the peak of the pandemic, we didn't know a lot about the virus, so we didn't have um, full PPP gear. Um, we know more now. We're more protected now. But at the peak of that pandemic, we didn't know much. So people were even more exposed to the virus and taking that risk um, to themselves and also to their families that they went home to every night. So I, I absolutely understand, and I think it deservingly so, that people think about those individuals. Um, but what I'm hearing, we're hearing from folks that are saying, hey, we've had individuals that were working day in and day out during the pandemic to make sure our businesses were going and uh, continuing to run so that folks had access to things that they needed access to to live um, consistently while some individuals were working from home these individuals were were here working day in and day out and they were often exposed to other folks that um, would have exposed them to the virus so we're getting that type of feedback and that's that's important because we want that type of feedback because we're going to take all this information to determine how we're going to um, so to speak, divvy up and, and, and then distribute the resources in this pot of money that's uh, $250 million. Has the nine-member um, group started working already? No, our first meeting, uh, we, we're, we're getting organized, and our first official meeting will be Wednesday, um, Wednesday the 28th. Wednesday the 28th. Okay. Yeah. So as we – you're talking about this week, Wednesday the 28th, right? Oh, this week, Wednesday oh, the 28th. My, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and how much and, time do they have to define all of this? So we have until we have to have a decision. We have to have either a decision that we that uh, seven of the nine panel members agree on or work group members agree on um, that we agree on by September. Or we have to, and if we can't come to an agreement on one particular set of parameters that we're going to determine how to decide who the workers are and, and how we get the resources out. Um, if that doesn't happen, we have to provide um, three um, scenarios or three recommendations that can then go to the full body for a vote to be passed in, and then that will be how we do things. Why not just give everyone the same amount? Well, I, I, I think part of it, well, here, here's the thought about that. Uh, we would have to figure out who would uh, be in that group and who would get access to, to, to the $250 million. Again, if I, I, I go back to the kind of the, uh, the, the scenario I gave or the the uh, comparison that I gave earlier of kind of a mass tort lawsuit where if you've got, uh, you know, thousands of people that have access to a pot of money, it saves $250 million. When you think about that, uh, with all the essential workers that we do have and that we did have working day in and day out to help take care of Minnesotans um, during, the, during the pandemic, and we're still in the pandemic, it would not be a meaningful amount. And so we're really trying to focus to make sure that we can do something that's meaningful for those workers with the idea that we're going to continue to push to get more resources so that we can take care of more workers. It's really quite remarkable because what you and I think of frontline workers, there are other people here in the great state of Minnesota that may define it completely different. Are you hearing people, are they writing into you saying, hey, this is what I think a frontline worker would be? Are you considering them? So people may be calling and wanting to know, are you adding this one, this one, and this one? Because we consider those frontline workers. Well, I think I think we I think we we are starting to get some of that feedback, and I think the that's the important reason why we're going to have these open hearings um, for testimony because we want that feedback. We do want to hear what Minnesotans are thinking. We do want to hear from community members, from activist groups, from advocates, from workers themselves to let us know what they consider a frontline worker and to let us know what their experience was during the pandemic. I think that's the most important thing. 
important piece. We want to know what the experience was of our workers so that we can make that determination of who's going to get um, access to the resources based on what the experience of those particular workers were during the height of the pandemic. I will say, I mean, we, we've got some ideas of what essential workers were. We have what was in the executive orders. We have what was what was based on when we began to roll out the uh, roll out the vaccine to the essential workers um, in phases. Um, but we really want to hear from people um, to add that into our um, to the information that we have to make the decisions that we need to make about who's going to get access and, and to how much. And so here's one of the challenges for me with a variant going right now and possibly two yeah. or three of them. Yeah. Then, of course, we're going to hear new definitions of the frontline workers, right? Because we don't know how that's how we're going to react to that here in our state. So, you know, it could be three months from now when people are going to be calling, say, hey, add this, add this and add this. When do you stop? So I, I think that's the important piece. And that's, just, that's one of the reasons really I mentioned that we're still in the middle of this pandemic. Um, and with the 250 million that we have now, it's nowhere near enough to cover all of our essential workers. Uh, I, I, so I think that's important that we continue to think about that and we keep that centered, that this 250 million, it cannot, it is not going to, it is not enough to to take care of or make hold or to actually give some a token of appreciation to all of our essential workers. That's why we're going to have to continue to work at this. And what we have to remember is that we're still in the middle of this pandemic. And, and as you just mentioned, Jolene, we still have these variants that are coming that we're seeing our numbers kind of uptick. So we don't know where we're going to be in three months. Hopefully our vaccine numbers, uh, vaccination numbers are going to go up. Um, that is the hope. Um, I was just with a group of legislators um, last week to push for that and to push for more people to get get vaccines. Um, we're starting to see more people come out to push for that. Hopefully those numbers are going to go up and we'll be in a better place in two or three months. Um, but if not, we have to remember we're still in the middle of this pandemic and there's still a lot of work to be done. And we're still going to need to depend on our essential workers as we have throughout this pandemic. All right. We just had a, one of our listeners write in and said, you know, that she hopes biotech med workers, medical workers can get some attention because these folks weren't able to work from home and were helping to keep hospitals going. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I think so. Again, that's why it's important for us to have these open hearings, because we're going to want to hear from um, and, and we're going to we'll provide notice. So we're going to want to hear from all workers and essential workers to hear about, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, what do you what do you think the definition of essential workers should be? But most importantly, for those like the individual that just um, wrote in or called in, tell us about your experience, because we want to hear that to help us make our decision. Well, again, I want to make sure that people are clear that these are bonuses that these workers will be getting. And, of course, MinPost wrote an article that actually suggested that this could get really messy. Are you concerned about that? Well, I, I, again, I think that I mentioned earlier, and, and I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I don't, I don't believe $250 million is enough to cover the um, thousands of essential workers that we you have. You did say that, you, yes. You know, I'll tell you, uh, when it started out, it started from uh, – I was the lead author on an essential workers uh, bill um, in the House side and did my, my counterpart on the Senate side, uh, Senator Aaron Murphy, carried the bill in the Senate. And initially that bill was that bill was focused on providing to essential workers that during the pandemic they had lost their, their PTO or vacation time or sick time and, and they could not they were not able to recover that time and that was a harm done to them. And it would have been done, and it would, and they would have lost that um, time based on um, being quarantined or being out sick and taking care of a loved one that was impacted by COVID. And that bill would have captured. We had we had that bill set up in a way that it would have captured every essential worker 
We were defining essential workers to ensure that we captured essential workers that were harmed in those situations. It would have been a larger pot, and it would have been broadly defined to capture more uh, essential workers. That bill, unfortunately, did not pass in that, in that form. And here's what the compromise was. It was a pot of money for $250 million. And that's why I continue to, to focus on and say that we're going to have to do more. That's the idea. We're going to continue to push for that, and uh, we're going to continue to try to find ways to do more for our essential workers because $250 million is, is just not enough. And I think people are deservedly so and rightfully so identifying that, that $250 million is not enough for the essential workers, the tons and thousands, or the tons of essential workers that we have in the state. $250 million is just not enough to take care of all of them. Final question for you, sir, and I really appreciate you joining us tonight. The bottom line is that there were some essential workers that quit. They worked so hard and they were so exhausted and so worried about their own families that they couldn't take care of that some just decided, you know what, I need to see about my family now. Will they be considered in that? Because they did give and, and, um, you know, help in so many different ways. Are they considered? Well, again, I'll I'll go back to I think that is that is very much so why it's so important that we're going to have these open hearings and that we're going to we're going to hear from as many people as we can. And I'm I'm hoping that um, if listeners out there, if you're listening, those individuals, please, um, if you can make it to these hearings or you can write to the legislators that are part of the work group and share that information so that we can have that information, so that we can take that information into consideration while we are determining how we are going to um, provide access to these resources for our essential workers. Representative, in fact, Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier, thank you so much for taking time tonight to give us some understanding. But, of course, we got a lot more to learn as the nine members really put this working group together. And I hope that I can have you back on when it's all done and said and done or when you're getting close to the end so that we can hear more about who are the frontline workers and how it was defined and who will will be able to get this. Because you and I both know so many people work so hard during this pandemic and are still working hard. So I'm thrilled that there is 250 million, but I think you're right. We need way more. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That is Cedric Frazier. (sighs) Take a breath, Charlene, and we'll be back. It is now 7.56 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. And as we wrap up this hour, I just want to say happy birthday to a little girl who turns two years old today. (laughs) Her name is McKenna Fortune, and oh my gosh, I just think she's adorable. I haven't seen her enough. But my dear friend, Dr. Tara Fortune, uh, she and I used to talk about having grandchildren together. We can't wait to share the pictures and spend time with our grandchildren. And I have three, at the ages of eight, four, and almost one. And I look at her little one who is absolutely adorable, loves books and that sort of thing, and I'm just really excited to say happy birthday to McKenna. So hi, honey. Even though you probably don't remember me, I haven't been over to see you. But oh my gosh, beautiful family, beautiful family. I just want to say that the man who has the responsibility, the one we just heard from, the representative, Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier, knowing that they, this nine-member group has to put this together, I don't know about you, but however they're going to define this, they've got a lot on their plates. God bless them. And yes, the essential workers are integral to the success of getting rid of this pandemic and those that have worked so hard from teachers and principals and so many more. I can't wait to find out how this is going to unfold. But maybe there's a way they can get more money. Maybe there's a way because I think that's the answer. Get the money so that everybody can get something. How about that? 
<laughs> All right. It's been a pleasure being with you this first hour. Coming up next, we're going to do open phones. So don't forget, open phones coming up to talk about the coronavirus vaccine and so much more. We want to hear from you. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 